Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2006. This is Mark sharing on Step 1. My name is Mark. I'm an alcoholic. I've got a bad cold this morning, so forgive me if I'm not clear and, and concise in, in what I say. I'll try and be as, um, as accurate as I can. I, um, I'm really pleased to be here. I, I, I like this um, Steps in the City group. They're very active in what they do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been a part of um, some of the things they've done before. Uh, it's probably something for all intent and purpose we're lacking currently in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we have um, a lot of meetings, I'm thinking. When you look at the meetings book, you, you know, see any amount of them. But we're probably lacking in good structure of group. And um, one thing I do notice about this group is they're very serious about the recovery process of, um, of alcoholism. My group that meets on a Sunday night called The Deal, also very, very fundamental in that, in that effort of recovery. And we try and guide the people into recovery as soon as they can. And that's not based upon anything that we've made up or convoluted or, you know, we think is the good idea because we just do. It's based upon the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and it's also based on the first hundred people that got together and put this book together. Although it was written by Bill Wilson, it had to be sort of run by a number of people. If anybody vetoed what went into that book, then it was left out. So it wasn't a, a, big, uh, a big single effort, one person. It was done as a, a collective effort. And what went into the book is what's required for us to sit comfortably in life today. You know, and as you go through it, as I'm sure this group does, that it puts on this weekend, and I know my group does, and a number of other groups in Alcoholics Anonymous, my first group that I got sober in continues to do it, and they continue to grow in numbers as a result of it. But it really makes us look at what the problem is and also what the solution is. And the problem, of course, that we're faced with is not so much of an alcohol problem. It's called alcoholism. And they're two very, very different things, you know, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir on a Saturday morning at 9.30, I guess I am to some point, but it's something that we need to remember and continue to reinforce in our sobriety one day at a time for as long as we continue to come to these rooms because it's the message that we get to carry. And that's the important thing to remember. We're carrying this message, not the message of we come up with an, an editing format in the big book based upon how we did it, but it's how it was given to us by the first 100 people. Now in saying that, the first step is not overly confusing, it's if either or either of the things weren't present in our lives, we wouldn't be sitting in this room today. You know, that's really the basis of it. If your life wasn't unmanageable, if you weren't powerless over alcohol, you'd be out there still drinking or trying to prove you can. So at some stage we really made a basic and, and very, very fundamental admission that those things are very, very true and very, very present in our lives. What we do about that is going to be interesting because I get to sit and listen to the, to the Step 2 speakers that are going to give you the solution side of things. We talk about the, the problem in, a, in an essence and our ability to admit we got one. But I just thought I'd take a couple of three minutes just to you know, maybe go over for the old timers, this might be a little bit boring, but for the new people, it might be interesting. But just go over a little bit of the history 
about alcoholism in a sense because we live in a, a very, very small time of recovery from this illness. You know, a little bit of well, last century and, and certainly the first few years of this century we're talking about. And that's it, really, in a sense. This problem's been around for a long, long time and the powerlessness over it has been around for a long, long time. And it just seems to be as long as they've been fermenting grapes and it goes back, they say, maybe up to 7,000 years of written recorded history or recorded history, that this problem has existed, and not with everybody, of course, but just a percentage of people. And the percentage has never been much greater than, they say, maybe 7%. And when I was a newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I'm not much of a statistician or a historian, but just interested in me because I'm just really usually interested in about me and what's currently happening around my life and all the selfishness and all the other crap that goes along with me and and I just sort of broadened my horizons a little bit and made me look in a more lateral sense to think this has been around for a long long time and people have been affected by it but the difference was of course then they had no idea what to do about it so people were treated fairly badly you know they were sometimes locked away and sometimes put to death and and other times driven out of the villages or the, the areas and no one had a clue what their problem was and they didn't have a clue for a long long time and someone pointed out to me very early uh, some interesting literature on it and some of the literature actually turns up in the bible of all places and i sat in these rooms and listened to this and someone said it come it's proverbs 23 or something you know so i made a mental note because i thought i would go and check it out in case they were just shucking me and not telling me the truth but in the end they were telling me the truth and I looked at that thing, and I'm not a biblical scholar, and I'm not religious in that sense, although I got brought up in the church, but found it quite extraneous. At 13, who needs God? You know, I need popularity and fun. So that's what I pursued, right or wrong. I still think I was probably right at that stage. But in the end analysis, you look at this Proverbs 23, and it's quite interesting to see the colourful literature they wrote about us in those times. You know, this is a long time ago. And they wrote about he who hath woe, he who hath sorrow, and it said, he who tarry long at the wine, for his eyes behold strange women, it's like he's been bitten by a serpent and he lay atop of a big mast on a, a heavy sea and he gets beaten repetitively, but he'll wake up and seek it again tomorrow. And I went, holy hell. You know, it didn't talk about social drinkers, it didn't talk about people. <laughs> Jesus. And then, you know, you skip forward and, and I've had the opportunity to talk to some very colourful people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober in the United States of America and, and people had spoken to Bill Wilson and, and they alluded to other things that were just colourful and interesting and, and made me try and start joining the dots and they said uh, if you skip forward into the you know, latter part of life, recorded life, you'll see that people like Robbie Louis Stevenson, you know, they didn't, they didn't write a book like he wrote some guy that was relatively normal and makes a potion concoction and ingests it and all of a sudden turns into something else. He said that was very autobiographical. You know, he was an alcoholic and he's an alcoholic of our time and he wrote about it and so on and so forth. He, this problem has been around for a long time with nothing to do about it. The first real effort that was made that, that was really recorded in any great detail was in the latter part of the 1700s in the States when they really just a new country were watching right in front of their faces the fabric of their society really come apart with this problem. You know, people were drinking and it was just ripping society and, and community apart. 
and they started doing something. We, we know it as prohibition. You know, we hear about, we heard about prohibition in school and whatever. And I think it started right about 1920, and, and it lasted for 13 years. It was an absolute disaster. But the roots of it started around about 1790 odd, because the problem was significant, and it continued. People trying to fix us, well-meaning people, people trying to help us, with absolutely no result whatsoever. They wrote books, really colourful books. One of them you'll find online is called Grappling with the Monster, because this problem was so significant that people actually had to put it down in deep. We don't know what to do about it, this is what's happening. Another one that my sponsor gave me a while ago was called Enemy in the Mouth. You know, these are not big books about but these are just recorded history about the problem, the nature of our illness, people like us and what happens to it. And then, funnily enough, a, a strange thing happened, and I don't have a lot of time, I want to cover step one, but in the 1840s, a couple of people got together in a bar in Baltimore, and they started doing something that really formed the mould of what it is we have here today. And it was a little group, and they called themselves after the first president of the United States. And, and that era in American history, for some reason, was the biggest drinking recorded part of history in their whole lifespan in the United States. And I always wondered about that. I said, Jesus, 1840s, come on, there wasn't many people around in 1840. And, and then my sponsor said, yeah, but take a look at the Western movies. I said, yeah, I can take a look at the John Wayne. He goes, yeah, but you notice when they ride into town, where's the first place they go? They go to the saloon. And who's in the saloon? Some drunk guy that's you know begging for a drink. Give me a drink. And they slide a whiskey down to him and off he goes and he's all happy. But that's what the whole social structure was based around, was drinking. And these guys noticed it and they formed a little group of ex-problem drinkers called the Washingtonians. And they did remarkably well. You know, caught on like wildfire because there's a necessity for it. What they didn't have was a great understanding of the nature of their illness. So they did well for a period of time. They grew in rapid, rapid rate. Something like maybe after five years, 300,000 people. You know, to skip ahead into AA, after five years, in, that was horse and cart days. After five years in AA, we had 1,000 people. So this just grew and grew and grew. But it got out of control, and eventually, they probably, for all intents and purposes, got diverted from their primary purpose, and they um, didn't really understand the nature of it, and they became extinct, extinct because they just went this way, and someone did more about this other problem, and there was laudanum and opium and drugs over here, and someone got, got involved in that, and there was slavery issues, and so all of a sudden they got bickering, and no one agreed on anything. Bang, it fell apart. But they were under something. They understood by talking to each other and by sharing with each other and breaking it, had a common problem maybe there was a common solution. And they just sort of touched on it. And of course, the common solution is what we lack in the second half of the first step, which is a spiritual solution, which you'll get in, in the second step. But they sort of stumbled upon it. Now, they fell by the wayside. And by luck or good fortune, and Bill Wilson came along, and there's a number of other things that <clears throat> attempted to help people of our type through the period over the next 100 years. And one was the Oxford Group, which ended up having some some um, part in our formation. But Bill Wilson came along and he was a bad drunk and, and they were trying to help him in hospitals in New York City and he was hopeless and he, it got so bad that Bill had his own room eventually. He'd turn up there every other month and Bill would go to your room. So Bill would go to his room and put his pyjamas on and sit there and old Silkworth used to come and help him. And Silkworth was an amazing doctor. He has a, you know, a, a very 
very high position as a non-alcoholic in our society. You know, and what he did, he kept on working aggressively with guys like Bill, and and um, he understood that there was something more to it than just having a drinking problem. He understood there was something else, and that was what he gave us, old Silky. He was a uh, you know just along that path. And at the same time, there was another guy that was visiting Dr. Jung because he had a huge, terrible drinking problem, and his name was Roland, and and um, Jung eventually tried to help him, but realised after a while he couldn't, because at that stage, Jung conceded that there is no effective treatment to dipsomania, or alcoholism, that he knew of, and therefore he couldn't treat Roland, so Roland's parents are trying to send more money to Jung, and of course, I don't want it, I can't help it. He goes, the only way that I've ever heard of, and I've never seen it, but apparently you can have some sort of spiritual reversal or, or awakening or something. I've read it in manuals, it, it can happen. And if it does happen, that's the only chance that your son has. Other than that, he's got to lock him down and monitoring, and it's going to be a life of despair and grief and so on and so forth. So anyway, Roland went back to the States, and just by luck or good fortune, he um, found the Oxford Group. And then the story goes, <coughs> excuse me, so did Ebby. And eventually they found, they found Bill Wilson in New York City and took him to the Oxford Movement. So Bill understood there was more to it than just a drinking problem. By the time he got to the Oxford Movement, he realised there was maybe something about this spiritual aspect of it. So he started making slow breakthroughs and started working with other people. But in the end analysis, it wasn't enough. So we'd go back to Dr. Silkworth and Silkworth would encourage him to look at the program in a different format and eventually I came up with what it is we currently do because the way he told Bill to talk to others, not with a spiritual approach about the Oxford movement, God this, and tell them about your stuff, you, and, and what happened, and then give them a spiritual solution. And the first person Bill tried that with, again by luck or good fortune, was um, Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob, who was a very spiritual man but couldn't stay sober, was amazed that Bill had the same experience, but he wasn't talking to Bill, he was talking about himself, and therefore we had the formation of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. But not on that particular day. We celebrate June 10 as our, our um, Founders Day, the day that he took that knife and operated coming off a, a, a bad drunk, and so on and so forth. But the real point of the exercise is that those two got together and for a series of months worked aggressively on themselves by helping others, making restitution. And after a great while, they had a discussion, maybe a few, four months, we really should write something down here. We should write a book to describe to other people precisely how we have recovered and kept this disease at bay, not cured. You know, because they call it a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual maintenance. And they did that. And Bill set out, to write the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. In its current format, that's what we have today. And the interesting thing about that is that they spent a long time talking about this first step. We were powerless over alcohol. And again, it's not really much when you read it on the screen like that, but it has an amazing impact once you start pulling it apart just a little bit. You know, we don't want to get into the semantics of the words of the big book, but when you look at it, if you never get to the point where you meet your powers over alcohol, it's an incredibly brave statement and an incredibly spiritual statement because you're admitting for once and hopefully for all time that you have no power. Without help, it is too much for you. You know, a very, very brave confession. 
So you come into these rooms and be very, very clear. They, they made it, if you want to read the literature and you want to look at the, the 12 and 12, they made it very clear that the entrance into Alcoholics Anonymous is not just walking through that door, it's walking through the first step of recovery. So they made that step exactly as it is in those two parts, dash, end of thought, start of new thought, to digest both things, your powers over alcohol. When it comes to alcohol, it will always beat me. I have no power over it. You know, but then they turned the tides on us and said, well, your quarrel isn't with alcohol. Your quarrel ends up being with your unmanageability. You know, I don't know about you guys, but everyone seems to think your unmanageability comes as a result of alcohol. It's plenty amplified by it or accelerated by it. But I wasn't doing that well before I started drinking. You know, when I was at school, you know, I wasn't sitting the world of fire with helping the teacher or doing homework or looking after, you know, chores at home. I was always about myself. I was always restless. I was always irritable. I was always discontent. And when alcohol came along, bang, I feel good. I didn't feel worse. I felt significantly better because in the end analysis, when you look at it, my problem doesn't come when I'm drinking. As Bill points out, my problem comes when I'm sober. That's where my powerlessness is, not after I take a drink. It's my mind that tells me again and again and again, no matter what's happened previously, it's okay to drink again. It's okay to drink again. And I'm powerless over that thought. Without help, it is too much for me. And that's the second half of that step is to realize that I am, in a sense, very spiritually sick. They call it a twofold disease. Some people like to call it a threefold, and that's fine, but it's really a twofold disease. It's a physical disease and it's a mental problem. It has a spiritual solution is what it has. And that's what hopefully we'll hear in the, uh, the second step. Because together we can do something that individually we can't. But the admission that you come in to these rooms and through that door and into the program of AA, the admission that we have to make is that we are powerless over alcohol. Our quarrel is not with alcohol. We don't want to start a fight and a debate and think that that's our issue. Our problem seems to be that of ourselves, we easily get overwhelmed by life. And when we get overwhelmed by life, we think we have specific problems unto us. You know, our problems are more gross or they carry more weight or you wouldn't understand. And I've only got, and all that ever weighed up to me was that I used alcohol long enough and often enough that I never grew emotionally. As a kid, 14 and 15 and all the way through until I got sober just before my 28th birthday, if I had a problem, my first reaction to it would be to buy my way out of it. or to, But in the end, to make myself feel better, I wouldn't deal with the conflict by trying to resolve it with the person or resolve it with whatever. I would drink. And drinking would change my perception of the situation. And that's what it does for all of us. And if it didn't do it, we probably wouldn't have done it so often for so long. But if it does that to you, eventually it would probably end up killing you because we just don't get well. We don't deal with emotional problems well. At some stages we grow, later on we end up hiding behind things like bluster and we start yelling and causing mayhem at home and we're disappearing because we just can't cope. We get overwhelmed and our life becomes clearly unmanageable at that point. However unmanageable it may have been as children, it becomes plenty amplified at that stage. And when you have that problem, when you get to a point where you can't drink and you can't not drink, you've got an issue, you've got a dilemma. 
and neither choice is acceptable. I can't drink, right? I can't not drink. Oh, God. And it's really looking at a glass and saying, if I drink, this is going to kill me. I know that. But if I don't drink it, I'm going to die. And that's where we get. And I wish I could rattle on about the, the rest of the second step, but we need to get to that point and we need to digest it and we need to concede to it and then we can move off. And any old time are worth his weight. And anybody in this room with double digit sobriety should leave the newcomers into that and not wait. Don't say kick around here and wait six months and get well and then do No. Now. Now's the time for it. Bill Wilson didn't wait. Dr. Bob didn't wait. The old timers don't wait. We get into this program quickly, but we use the tools. We use the group. We use the sponsor. We use the 12 steps. We ask questions. We, we look at surrender. We look at humility. We get rid of pride. We have reduction of ego. It can only be superimposed on us by people ahead of us, the people who take the time to come and, and do that, the older sober members, of whom I'm very grateful of and still keep in touch with every day. You know, I still have a sponsor 18 and a half years down the track. I wouldn't not think of talking to him every day. And some people say, yeah, the problem with that? No, sometimes we talk as friends. And sometimes, you know, I've got the courage today to make sure he knows where I'm at. So I know there's someone in my life that knows me a little better than I do in times of conflict. And that's incredibly important for me today. My time's up, you know, I'd love to rattle on about the rest of this thing. But first of all, I want to thank the committee for asking this year. I think this is subject matter is incredibly important. And it continues to be in my life something I have to reintroduce myself to because I have a tendency to forget this stuff, you know. And I want to thank the guys that put this um, weekend, the committee together, uh, the, the weekend together. I think it's um, such a valuable tool. You know, I will continue to come to these things. Thanks for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne Alcoholics Anonymous Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.